0: Eerily haunting true stories about remote abandoned locations rich in history come with us now travels from state to state if you can be the last time anybody sees us alive I don't
1: know where she has a boy in the coffee room no? Jamie there is a beehive over there do you see that in the hole buckle up buttercup welcome of Madness. Hi, welcome to Fifty States of Madness. <laughs> welcome to Fifty States of Madness. I'm so excited to be here. I know, I can tell. I well, we're we're having a little bit of issues before we started recording, like my hot flashes. Sam having so, hot
2: flashes. So. Oh my goodness, it,
1: it's so bad right now. So <sighs> I think it might just be me. I'm like, it is. It's a little bit. Yeah, I make her hot. That could be the problem. Or it could be our topic today. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Or not. So, um, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about when we went to Wyoming and we visited the forts. And we're going to focus on Fort Bridger today. Yes, we are. Because it has some really interesting connection to the Donner Party. The Donner Party, yes. So, we're going to dive into that today Mm -hmm. but um so but we're really excited about what's coming up for us after the holidays
2: yeah so um i don't know should we tell them or i feel like we should just tell them
1: i think we should say something just a little teaser just like
2: just say where we're going (laughs) yeah okay so um shannon and i have um there there isn't much planning when it comes to our trips (laughs)
1: They just happen when they, they happen. They just happen.
2: So um, in about four... Four weeks. Weeks. Um, exactly four weeks from today. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. It is. Exactly four weeks from today, um, Shannon and I will be going on our next venture. And we will be going to Houston, Texas. Yes. And New Orleans. Yes.
1: So and, I'm excited.
2: And I have to be honest... Um, I was really excited about um, going to New Orleans. However, in the beginning, I was like, Houston, Texas, like, eh, I don't know, man, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it. And um, I've had a change of heart. There's a lot that's
1: gone down in Houston, Texas, so yeah. oh my God, I think my accent's gonna come back when I'm there. <laughs> I'm gonna come back. <laughs> I had it up until 5 years old. I was born in Oklahoma.
2: I know. Oh, God, I can't even imagine you trying to say a with, <laughs> with, with the
1: Southern with the locals there. <laughs> I don't even know if I can
2: if I can have it come back, but I don't I don't think in a week and a half it's going to come back.
1: I hope it does. I hope by the end of the I hope um uh, when we come back and I
2: record, I'm going to have you my you guys will know that I'm, we've been to Texas and back. <laughs>
3: My
1: accent will come right? back yes oh, all right then <laughs>
2: um so yeah so we're we're super excited to be taking our next trip we were um originally just planning on traveling during the summertime because yeah. since we both work at schools we have our summers off and so it's That's the perfect a perfect time and it's it's good traveling makes for good traveling weather too you know because yeah. a lot of these places that uh, we're going does have some severe uh Winters, yeah. So we don't want to um, run into anything like that. But, but the opportunity, <clears throat> pardon me, the the opportunity arise, and so we um, were off. My daughter's moving
1: weeks. to Houston, so we're gonna help her move, and we decided, yeah. like, hey, we're we'll gonna as take well check this it out.
2: Opportunity to um, dive into some. Um, some true crime cases so i'm i'm really excited because this is really up my alley it's all you yeah so i'm i'm really excited about this and um yeah so in the next few weeks we will be um probably the majority of our podcasts after this one will be uh mostly true crime it's going to be a handful of them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Because
1: we're going to go down that.
2: We're going to do rabbit hole. Yeah, we're going to do some Christmas and uh, New Year's true crime, and then um, after that, we will be in Texas. So, yeah, I'm excited. And a little disclaimer: um, we are in Los Angeles, and USC is playing. My family is watching yes. it. So if you hear people screaming in the back, all is well. It's just football. done
1: I don't know who I'm going for. No. (laughs) I am crossing my fingers right now. So I hope it but right now, I'm mm, not a
2: college football fan. So (laughs)
1: we're uh, it's very nerve-wracking right now. So well, we're gonna get into Fort Bridger. Okay. So I'm gonna go with the history. I'm gonna try to give you all the correct dates and everything, but I have my little handy dandy notes right here in front of me. Just in case. But um, so we had the opportunity to go visit Fort Bridger. It wasn't originally on our list. No. But we had people telling us that you need to go down there and check it out. It's a really cool fort. You know, they preserved it. It's actually not the original fort because um, it actually, the original fort was burned down. But um, it is
2: um, a replica of it. It's pretty, it's pretty, I mean i didn't i guess i didn't really know what to expect when we went yeah um but i was it it was it was very gorgeous it was so cool
1: i mean and especially if you love history and stuff and um we got to meet some really nice a really nice couple there who Mm -hmm. knew a lot about the place and the history and um so they shared a little bit of that and hopefully we'll have some of his interview in our um after we're done editing, we'll have him talk a little bit too yeah,
2: because this is another one of the spots that we visited where um people were again just so helpful and willing to tell their stories and um you know the history that they knew and share it with us and allow us to record them yeah and and put them use them on our podcast so that was that was very cool. It was pretty awesome so um Fort bridger um back in the eighteen hundreds.
1: Um, Fur trapping was a huge um, way to make money. Well, it started to decline. Um, It wasn't as popular anymore. Um, Beaver trapping wasn't um, that profitable. But there was a gentleman there by the name of Bridger. Let me get his first name, Jim. Jim Bridger. And um, he didn't want to leave the area. He really loved the area of Wyoming and the area that they were living in. And he wanted to think of a way to... Stay there, but still make money and make a living. And so he teamed up with this guy named Louis Vasquez, and they um, realized that in this one part of Wyoming, at the time it was back in 1853, all these um, people were moving west, you know, whether it be for, you know, land or gold or, you know, just stories of how much better it was back you know, West, but all these people were moving West. It was a big, huge Westward movement. And we had the Oregon trail, the Mormon trail. Um, there was the pony express, California, trail. the California trail. They all kind of merged in this one part of Wyoming, it, you know, it kind of all merged to this one all part of Yeah. It all kind of came together and then it would break off if you were heading on, you know, the California trail you had this way. If you were going up the Oregon trail, you'd hit kind of, you know, Northwest, you know? So, um, they thought this would be a perfect place to have like a fort, like a mercantile type thing, a business. So they kind of put together um, these building people who went through there. They had reported that some of the buildings weren't as nice as another fort that was further East of it called Fort Laramie. Right. So, but you know, it had all the essentials and they knew that, you know, they were businessmen. They knew that, there was nothing else for miles around. So their prices were kind of high. They, you know, they tried to um, make a living, uh, make a living out of this. And they tried to make the most of this opportunity. Right. So there was one little thing that they would do. They um, would, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, they would, let's say all these people are traveling with their oxen. So by the time coming up and over and going miles and miles and days and days and months and months, with the same oxen, the oxen would lose all this weight. And because it was Wyoming, they had all this nice grass that the oxen could feed off of. So they would come there and he would say, Hey, I got these fresh new oxen for you for the rest of your trip. You know what? And it's going to be $300 for two new oxen. But you know what? Because I like you. They're like used car salesmen, but with (laughs) oxen, but because I like you, (laughs) I'm gonna give you seventy dollars for your two oxen, and then um, the people are like, oh yeah, and so then those people would take off with these big fat oxen, and then they would keep those oxen there and you know feed them, fatten them up off the grass. These oxen would be able to you know get their health back. They'd eat off the grass, and the next people coming through with their skinny little oxen, he'd sell f- them the. F- Oxen, he fattened back up, you know. So it was kind of like this business that he was doing. So I thought that was pretty funny. But um, so at the time, that part of Wy- um, that part of Wyoming was actually part of the Utah Territory, and so the governor over this part of the Utah Territory was a na- man by the name of Brigham Young. And if you're Mormon or if you know anything about Utah, you- that name is very familiar to you. Yep. So, um, he was the governor of the Utah territory, which covered this part of the area as more and more people were moving West. The government's long arm of the law was moving (laughs) West as well. And so they started, um, implementing these laws. And so one of them was that you were not allowed to sell alcohol or any kind of, um, merchandise to the native Americans. And so, um, Jeff, Jim, I keep wanting to call him. Jeff Bridges, <laughs> not Jim, the actor, Jim, Jim Bridger. Bridger. So <laughs> let's not confuse them with Jeff Bridges. Um, Jim Bridger, um, he ignored it. So he would continue to sell. Well, the Mormons didn't like this because one, the Native Americans would be getting drunk and so they'd start shooting <laughs> at people. Then the Mormons didn't feel safe. And because Another thing, it was alcohol and guns. That's actually where the two main things that they could not sell to the Native Americans. And so so the Mormons started complaining, and not even just the Mormons, some of the people in the area that were settling there, they started complaining that um, Jim was doing this illegal stuff. And so uh, Mr. Brigham Young sent down a group of militia to try to stop him once Jim heard about this, um, he took off from the fort. He left the fort, hid out in an Eagle's nest.
3: His
1: (laughs) wife would take him food and supplies and stuff. And she eventually was able to sneak him some horses that he, um, actually took off. And he went to Washington DC because he wanted to complain that they stole his (laughs) fort from him. So he wanted to take it up to the Senate, up to the big men up at the Capitol Hill. But, um, he, uh, so at the time the, Mormons ended up taking over the fort for a while there and they actually built a six foot wall because it was a lot of hearsay and with the government and the Mormon people. So the Mormons believed that the government were, was going to come from Washington DC to kill them and to kill all the women and children. People in Washington DC thought the Mormons were building this huge army to create this war so this kind of area right here there was a lot of controversy so it was called the utah war or the mormon war but in fact nobody actually lost their life right for it um no, i know the, no gunfire no gunfire during this time but there is a part in history where the militia did kill about 120 innocent men women and children that were moving westward And they incorporated the help of a Native American tribe to help them with it. So um, that did happen. But other than that, there was, and it had nothing, I don't even think it had a connection to that. But um, it was just, at the time, um, there was a lot of confusion in what was happening. So the government, you know, for, Mr. Bridger goes running down. They're saying, you know, there's these people that took over my fort. They took it away. They stole it from me. I have over a hundred thousand dollars of stuff that they stole from me. And so the government, and I don't know how Mr. Jim Bridger was that powerful, but the government said, Hey, we're going to send men down there then to stop this. So as they're coming, um, westward, um, the Mormons hear about this and the ones that are at the fort and they That's why they built the big old wall, because they think they're going to be able to stop them. But they realized that they're probably going to be no match for the American army or the men that were coming down. So they ended up um, setting fire to the fort and setting fire to all the brush around it um, so that they can buy themselves some time. And by the time the army came, it was winter. It was going on winter. So they couldn't use the fort because it was all burnt down. That whole area was burnt. The brush was burnt. So they went like a three miles south of it. They set up camp and they sat there through the winter. And at some point they sent some guides out, you know, up to Salt Lake City to kind of, you know, feel what's happening, you know, kind of see what's going on with this big, huge militia they thought the Mormons were building to go against the government. And when they actually go over there and they sit down and talk, they realize like, hey, um, do you, are you building up a military to go after the government? And they're like, well, no, we just want to live. And they're like, you're not coming here to kill all our men, women, and children? And they're like, no. no. <laughs> and so it was just one conversation, and it ended it all. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it was just one, but it was, you know, they were finally sat down to talk, and they realized this wasn't happening. Well, by the time all this was said and done, what happened to Mr. Jim Bridger? Well, he tried. He tried to come back to his fort. He tried to come back and get it back. But um, by this time, the government wasn't allowing the Mormons to lay claim to the fort, and they weren't allowing Jim Bridger to lay claim to the fort. And there was even some, in some of the information I found, that actually Louis Vasquez, the partner of Jim Bridger, he actually sold the fort under Jim Bridger to the Mormons. And then there's, yeah. And then there's some saying that no, Jim Bridger knew about it. He agreed to get paid $4,000 for, you know, the fort. (laughs) $4,000? Yeah. Well, back then, you know, it was a lot of money. I know. that just 1853. Well, this is all the way going up to 1857. You know, we're going, a few years have passed. But Mr. Bridger wants his fort back because he sees all these new, well, at first, before they burnt it all down. He saw all the the wall and everything that they did to um, build it up. But there was a lot of confusion in who was going to get the fort, who wasn't going to get the fort, who was going to get the land. Well, and the whole fort didn't get burned down. Like the wall was still there. There was still stuff there because after the Mormons left and the government said, nope, you know, no one's taking this. It's ours now. So actually the government took it over and they ran – A store out of it they made it like a post where when their men would come through they'd have a place to stay and so a man by the name of carter came down and he actually is wyoming's first millionaire because he started a store out of this fort it was really interesting it's like there a lot of stuff happened at this fort so much and mr i don't even know how to wrap it all up so that we can get to the donner party stuff but um there was um calamity jane stayed at this fort she was a laundress there um mark twain was a guest of the carters because um, mr carter he came originally with the military and he ended up staying there and they allowed him and gave him permission to open up i'm going to say it wrong but a commissary. come um, yeah commissionary commissary something like that right commissary like where a trading like where they can trade they like a store they a store he opened up he store. opened up like a store and he was allowed to sell the government gave him permission and all the goods would come and so he ended up opening up a town off one of the railroad tracks named it carter mm-hmm. and we'll put pictures in here because we actually went to that town yep cool little town so cool i think there might be a on one hand, I can count probably count the amount of people that probably reside in that town right now. Oh yeah, very small. Yeah, it was super small. It was a, considered a ghost town. Yeah, it, it's not it's not up and running. But at the time, all the goods would come into the town of Carter, and he would take it down to Fort Bridger. And it was about I don't know, it was about three to five miles away from mm-hmm. Fort Bridger. But we had the we opportunity had to ask for
2: directions.
1: Yeah, it was really really cute. So we have the pictures here. Oh hold on. Oh, I don't I don't have my button. We have the pictures here. <laughs> I don't have my button of sound. <laughs> Do a real cute sound for that. But um and so um we were able to visit that. So that was a lot of fun. But um we had um chief was washaki. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm gonna mess up people's name, but I think that's actually it. Chief Oshaki. He's the one that I think I mentioned him on another podcast, uh, but maybe I haven't, but, um, he's known, um, he's very well known because he actually was in negotiations with the American government over land in Wyoming because, um, the native Americans, you know, that was their land. And so my, the town that my daughter lives in, Thermopolis was actually, um, given to the American people or signed over to the American government, um, because of their hot springs. And so he said, Hey, you can have these hot springs, but as long as, um, we can still use them and they're going to be free for people to use. So still to this day, there's a hot spring there. So cool that they're not allowed to charge you to go see it. There's other ones that are privately owned that you're, you pay to go. Yeah play in the hot springs but they preserve one where from like 8am to 11am anybody can go in for free and enjoy the hot springs which was thanks to Chief Washaki because he's the one who said and had that in the stipulation yeah. and he said you guys can have this as long as I have this is for my people over here and that's the Wind River Reservation over yeah. there in the Wyoming area so Um,
2: that my daughter's little town lives in. So, but it was that was um that was such a cool little little area to visit. Yeah, it was the history behind all of it is really really interesting. There's so
1: much I don't even know how to say it. Like I have so much in my head, and to say it, and sometimes I think to myself like, slow down, Shannon. You have time. Just say it all. But it's like. So much is in my head right now on how much history is in this area. And it gets me really, really excited. And I don't know if you can tell that it gets me excited, but I get really, really excited about it. But um, to make the connections, because it's funny, because when we're out there, we're just like, okay, we're going to visit here. We're going to visit there. We're going to visit there. And then we come back and we start researching and we're like, wait a second. I know about that deal that he made with the people about They're the land. Connected. I didn't know that it was signed at Fort Bridger. Like that's where they did the agreements. That's where they did the signing for mm-hmm. it for these agreements was actually at Fort Bridger. So it's like, it's funny how we didn't have some of these places in mind we were going to visit, but yet the connections all, there, Yeah, you know, the it, all, history. it seemed to like
2: all fall into place too. Like yeah. it, it, it's, it was, um, it was a good trip. Yeah. It was a like, really wait good a second.
1: Trip. I did go there. So, um, yeah, but, yeah, Mr. Carter, first Wyoming millionaire, and, you know, that fort's still there, and poor little town's not really there anymore, but. And that is is his safe that we saw? Yes, so we're going to have, we'll have the picture there. So we have a picture of a safe that was in the museum at Fort Bridger, and the man that we interviewed. Never been opened. Never. They can't figure out how to open how to it, open and they don't it. want to ruin it. Yeah, and so they agree just to have it. So don't even know if oh, there's it's in there. Yeah, if it's Could empty, or if there's millions of dollars. Who knows the story of the safe?
0: That, that, that safe that you're looking at there was Mr. Carter. He was the settler here before, uh, and that is where he kept his millions of dollars. We're sure of it. He was the first millionaire in the state of uh, Wyoming. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, we can't get
1: in the safe. We don't know really the combination of two the safe. So it's, uh... It's like Al Capone's vault, right? Can we call... <laughs> What's his name with the mustache? Jerry, not Jerry Springer. <laughs> what was his name? Back in the... Come on, I'm dating myself. 90s. He went into Al Capone's vault. Gerardo? <laughs> <laughs> Gerardo Rivera. Gerardo <laughs> You know the one I'm talking about. What's the mustache?
3: <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god,
1: Gerardo. Gerardo. I well, I can see his name in my yes. mind. Gerardo Rivera. Rivera. Yes. So, oh, can we get him on that? Yeah, maybe. So, is he still alive? Oh gosh, I hope so. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I don't. I I think he's still alive. I mean, he it. wasn't.
2: We can do it if he can. can't we can be there. We know our way there. That's true. We know those people. We know people.
1: We we're like this. We know people. They're
2: our besties now. Yeah. So we know people. But
1: um another interesting fact cuz we were talking about Fort Bridger and we're like you know visiting there it's not the same. I like I can tell you everything about the history and everything but it's not exciting. There's no real connection until we found out that through listening and re-listening to the interview we had with the guy at Fort Bridger and I have his name and I wrote it down. And for some reason it's slipping my tongue. I even had him spell it out, but he, um, he talks about the Donner party and how it's connected to Fort Bridger because at Fort Bridger, they kept telling him the people there kept telling the Donner party, you need to move on.
2: Yeah.
0: But
1: they were waiting for a guide.
0: The parties that stopped out there and stayed there way too long was the Donner party. And if you're familiar with them, what happened to them when they were crossing this year, mountain range was not good. And the reason they had problems because they sat here for three weeks out here in this field and people encouraged them, said you need to get on the trail, you need to get going, winter's coming. But they sat there convinced that Mr. Hastings who had the new Hastings shortcut was gonna show up and show them that shortcut. Finally, they decided to go ahead and leave and were sure that they were gonna find the Hastings trail. When they get down here to Echo Canyon just outside of Salt Lake City, they ran into nothing but trees and brush, and they couldn't get through. So they spent thirteen days cutting trees and brush down. So there again, they were tied up for another almost two weeks. So by the time they got to Salt Lake, they were already five weeks behind. And so they kept making mistakes, and we know what. Yeah, we know what party. happened
1: to them. Yeah.
2: So I'm gonna let Gina take over on this part. Yeah. So so when we were planning to do this episode, um, I was like to be there and visit is one thing, but to like talk about it is something else. And I just, I wasn't retaining it. I just I wasn't retaining it. And again, like you guys know, Shannon is, is, you know, a history major. So this stuff is really interesting to her. And I, I really like history, but only certain history. There has to be, obviously Blood. something morbid connected to it for me to retain anything. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be something morbid connected, yes. um, unfortunately for me to retain any information. And so I told her, I was like, you know, I think this, this Fort Bridger episode, you might have, this might be a solo episode yes, for you.
1: She's all take, take it over. It's, Cause it's I all just, you. well, and the part that made me a little bit nervous is because I want it to be interesting too. And it's like, how do I make it
2: exciting and interesting because to me this is like amazing but I've been there like you said many people it might be yeah you know it it really might be it's because again history is is very very interesting Mm -hmm. it really is and and don't get me wrong like visiting these places and being able to like learn the history as we visited them is one thing but I think to like retain it and read (laughs) it I was like I'm going to make this and and obviously Shannon is way more bubbly than I am (laughs) so to hear me tell a story of Fort Bridger I um you know it packs more of a punch with her we'll say (laughs) um but with the Donner party I was like oh I can talk about that I can talk about cannibals yeah I can I can talk about that so um and that's usually what comes to mind you say the Donner party cannibalism yeah but there's so much more to it but yeah. i'll let you yeah yeah so um it's actually um i i have quite a few pages here to read um and this is a very condensed version of what happened um if you have done any research or read anything on it it's a very long drawn out very detailed story like it could you could go on for hours about it um so this is just um just a little bit about, um, their journey through the California trail. So, um, when the immigrants were traveling on the California trail, it needed to be mapped out and planned for them to be able to head West, um, late enough in the spring because they needed, um, they needed grass for their pack animals. And, and to, to read this and to think like, oh my God, like who would think about that? But I guess, I mean, back at that time, if that's what they did, like, these are the things.
1: It's like how we do our gas station stops.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Um, But they also had to um, keep winter in mind, too, because the winters were pretty grueling, too. So they had to travel. They had to leave at a certain time to be able to get to certain places um, before severe storms hit. So... um, the perfect time for them to leave would be mid uh, to late April. That was like mapping it out. That would have been the perfect time for them to leave. Uh, however, the Donner party didn't leave until May 12th. So they were a little behind schedule, a few weeks behind schedule and they left from independence, Missouri. So that's where they started, which pretty in the Midwest. It is. It, it really is. So because of this late start, they had very little room for error, and they also, um, They were the last major pioneer train of 1846. So a man by the name of Lansford Hastings, who was a guidebook author, was promoting a faster path than most California bound pioneers um, were using. However, he had never done this before.
1: He never went on the trail himself.
2: Never. Never. He found it off of maps, yes. Like so, he was just looking at a map. Oh, this looks like it would be so much faster. I think you should go this way. So, um, yeah, not 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 such a great idea. Um, but anyway, they ended up calling naming this um, the Hastings Cutoff. That that's the route that they called it. So the Donner Party kind of knew that this was not a great idea. However. They went through with it anyway. So taking their 20 wagons, which is a lot, <laughs> that's, that's a lot to go through and like not know where you're going. Um, and nobody's done this before. Um, they went through the Hastings cutoff. Um, however, this this decision proved very disastrous and they ended up having to cut down trees and they nearly died of thirst during a five day crossing of the salt desert. That sounds horrific. The salt desert, like that, just I'm like,
1: <laughs> we went sounds through like
2: dehydration. City we went to through me. Death
1: Valley, and like just to walk from the car to the <laughs> I store get into up. the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Yeah.
2: So, um, it sounded pretty grueling. So, um, this so-called shortcut added nearly a month to their journey. So instead of making yeah. it a cut shorter and a cut off. It added an entire month, and then you also have to take into consideration, they started a few weeks late, so they're screwed at this point. Yeah. So, through all of this, most of the Donner Party still managed to reach the slopes of the Sierra Nevada by early November 1846. Put that into perspective. They leave on May 12th, and here we are in November, October. October. November. Yeah. And I heard that they, well, I was
1: reading, I didn't hear it's like, I'm talking to people. (laughs) Yeah. They were gossiping. back in They rang me on the telephone. Um, but they, um, said I was reading that they kept, they stayed too long, Mm -hmm. like at certain places. And Fort Bridger was one of them where they just were sitting and sitting. People people were telling telling them you need need to to move on, you need to go. And they're they're like, well, we're waiting for this guide. And he was like, Nope, yeah. not doing it. Yeah. You know, see you later. Like I'm not. Yeah. You, what? You want me to? No, I'm not going to lead you on that. And so he actually abandoned them and left them to their own devices. So they yeah. waited, you know, I don't know, extra days, extra week, whatever yeah. it was, the amount of time that was too long because people are saying you need to go up and over the Sierras mm-hmm. before the snow Before
2: the snow. And, and yeah, that so and that, to think that they had that to cut down trees. That didn't happen. Yep. So they only had a few hundred miles left, and unfortunately, um, an early blizzard blanketed the Sierras in several feet of icy snow. So early winter. Um, this forced the Donner Party to go to nearby Truckee Lake and wait out the winter in tents and cabins, and these were pretty dilapidated; like they were not in in great condition. So most of their livestock and their supplies had already been lost on the trail, and it wasn't long before they began to perish from starvation, obviously. I (laughs) I mean, I can't even imagine. I don't know. I I just not having a bottle of water. I don't know. I just can't. I cannot even fathom any of this. Um, Most of the Donner Party was made up of young children and adolescents, which is so sad to me. Um, of the 81 that were stranded at Truckee Lake, more than half of them were younger than 18 years old and six of them were infants.
1: They were yeah, babies. They were families. And um, their caravan or their wagons, they were like um, top of the line type wagons mm-hmm. where they would carry everything. But I was reading that they most of the people would overpack them. And yes. by the time they were... Yes. Heading across country, like the
2: stuff was—it's
1: just coming. They, they had, to, were, leave they had it. to
2: dump it and mm-hmm. stuff, but they had to leave it.
1: But they, but these caravans that they did, or the the wagons that they got, they did it, and they were saying because nine times out of ten, the woman was pregnant. Like, oh, of course, yeah. So yeah, of they course. were having children on these oh, trails, yeah, on and, these, mm-hmm. and it they like, just kept multiplying. You just see, you know the amount of people that went, but I'm yeah, and I don't even know the details but go on there. Please. There's a yeah. lot.
2: <laughs> um, so most of the eventual survivors ended up being children.
1: Oh, so the, that's what, that's what I was yes. curious about. Yeah.
2: Um, one of them uh, named Isabella Breen and she would go on to live until 1935. And mind you, this is in 1846. Wow. So, you know, that, a that's life. a long time. Yeah. So on December 16th, 1846, after being stranded for more than a month, Fifteen of the strongest members decided to use some makeshift snowshoes and walk out into the mountains to find help. I want to know what those snowshoes look like.
1: I, well, makeshift, <laughs> like, I twigs. Um, yeah, I mean, I who like,
2: knows what they were using at this point? Yeah. I'm um,
1: picturing like almost like a tennis racket kind of thing, but that's only because like that's what you buy. But yeah, there's were makeshift. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, who
2: knows? Yeah. Who who knows? So after being out for several days they were left starving and on the verge of collapse and they resigned themselves to cannibalism. So um they were talking about human sacrifice and so it it got I, I feel like it got pretty, pretty dark. Yes. So um they also talked about having two of the men square off in a duel. Like but but figure like I mean they're starving. Yeah. They're starving. (laughs) They're just going to start offing people at this point. Anything. I mean, and it gets, it gets worse than this. It, It, it really, it gets worse. Um, so not long after this, several members of the party naturally just died, um, because they were just malnourished and everything. Um, so the survivors roasted and consumed their corpses. Um, and as gr- as gruesome as this was, it gave them the energy that they needed. And after walking for a month, seven of the original fifteen made it to a ranch in California and helped organize rescue efforts. So, of those fifteen strong men,
1: so seven actually, seven men-
2: of them made it. Eight of them
1: and passed. And there's still the women and children back at the mm-hmm. original camp. So these are yeah. just the 15 men with the, the snowshoes with the snowshoes. Okay, got it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and so um they helped to organize, you know, rescue efforts to go back and get everybody, and historians would later dub their hike the forlorn Ho- hope, the forlorn hope. Yeah. Uh so during this expedition, two Native Americans joined the Donner party. Uh their names were Salvador and Lewis. They joined them shortly before they became snowbound. So before before the storm. Before
1: they made it up yes. and over. Okay. Yes.
2: So, um, however, they refused to engage in any cannibalism whatsoever. And they later ran off out of fear of being murdered. Um, once they ran out of meat, they thought they were going to eat them. So they Did, took off.
1: Because they, they were seeing them eat the dead.
2: Yes. Yes. And they refused to do that. And so they figured, you know what, we have to take off now because when they run out of people to eat, they're yeah, going to kill gonna us. us next. And yeah. We're next. We're next on their list. So a few days later, um, they found these men after they took off, they found them in the snow, um, exhausted, like dying of exhaustion, basically, and obviously malnourished. Why
1: were they hunting them down?
2: No, I think they were just walking and they I found, just found them. them. Oh, okay. Because so, they took off ahead of them. Because they just took off. And so um, when they found them days later, they were lying in the snow and a member of the party of of the Donner party named William Fo- William Foster shot both of the men in the head and they were then butchered and eaten by the hikers. So what they thought hap- was going to happen happened. It did happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, this was... The only, um, part of the entire winter that people were murdered, um, for use as food.
1: Okay. So that was the only time
2: that they were actually murdered. Yes. Um, I think they were eating the people, the people that were dying naturally. Yeah. Um, but these two native Americans were, were actually murdered, unfortunately. Um, So by now, by this time, their supplies were getting really low. And the immigrants that were stranded at the lake, at Truckee Lake still, um, resorted this to me, this sounded worse than eating people. Um, They resorted to eating very grotesque meals. They slaughtered their pack animals. They cooked their dogs. They ate leftover bones. And they even boiled the roofs of their cabins that were made out of animal hide. Well, I mean, how hungry, though, and desperate do you need to be to I, I, even uh, yeah, consider I, I mean, it? But... And imagine not only being hungry, but you're freezing cold. You're trying to take care of your kids. And, like, these are children.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, and then
1: imagine if it's your family member who dies naturally and mm-hmm. then you're having to eat them. Eat them. Yeah. And then having to live with that because you survived. Mm-hmm. Imagine like people now, like when you have nothing to do with that, you have survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: imagine yeah. this. So they would they would take this um, the these these roofs that were made out of animal hide, and they would boil them until they turned into like a paste, and that's how they would how they would eat it. I guess any way you eat it is gross. But like as a paste, I have texture issues. Yes. (laughs) to put Like like, mash up my roof into a paste and try to eat it. Yeah, not so much. I think at that point I would just throw the towel in and be like, okay, just take me now. No insects, no slugs. No, I'm just like thinking. I don't know. I don't don't know what was available to them out there. It was probably all frozen. That's true. true. I mean, you don't see in... I don't go to the snow often, but I don't think you yeah. see insects flying around in the snow. I
1: don't either. I don't function well in anything above or below 80.
2: Right. <laughs> we're very <laughs> spoiled out here. If You haven't noticed. I
1: throw my Uggs on when it gets to 60 or below. Yeah. Cause we're like,
2: <laughs> we're freezing once. Really it really hurts. I told One Johnny the like other day, I did. I told 69. Johnny the other day. I was like, it is freezing. He's like, Gina, it is 65 degrees. Jeez. I'm like. Like I said, it's It's freezing. freezing. Thank you. I'm cold. (laughs) Um, So by this time, several people died um, of malnutrition, while the rest of them survived on pieces of boiled leather and tree bark until rescue parties arrived in February and March of 1847. Wow. so almost a whole year after you left. Almost a whole year that this took them. So roughly half of the Donner Party survivors eventually resorted to eating human flesh. So of the five months um, the Donner party spent trapped in the mountains, nearly half of it took place after they had already been located by rescuers. The first relief parties reached the settlers in February 1847. But since pack animals were unable to navigate the deep snow drifts, they only brought whatever food and supplies they could carry. So they were doing this back and forth thing, back and forth, back and forth. So, um, by then, many of the immigrants were too weak to travel and several died while trying to walk out of the mountains. Four relief teams and more than two and a half months um, were eventually required to shepherd all the Donner Party survivors back to civilization. So, um, they said that. So, the last to be rescued was a man named Louis Kiesberg, he was a Prussian pioneer was found in April 1847, like a almost a whole year, um, supposedly half mad and surrounded by cannibalized bodies of his former companions. Um, he was later accused of having murdered the other emigrants for um, for food, but charges were never proven. So perhaps the most famous of the Donner Party saviors was John Stark, a burly Californian a burly California settler who took part in the third party relief. Um, in early March, 1847, he and two other rescuers stumbled upon 11 immigrants, mostly children who had been left in the mountains by an earlier relief group. This man isn't like doing the Lord's work out there. Um, he, so this was mostly kids that had been left. So the two other rescuers each grabbed a single child and started hoofing it back down the slope but Stark was unwilling to leave anyone behind so instead he rallied the, weir- the weary adults gathered the rest of the children and began guiding the group single-handedly most of the kids were too weak to walk so Stark took to carrying two of them at a time for a few yards then setting them down in the snow and going back for the others i, I like it that's crazy wow. to me um, he continued this grueling process all the way down the mountain and eventually led all nine of his charges to safety. How long did it take him? Um, I don't Does it say it
1: doesn't That's just say crazy. Yeah, it doesn't um, say but I
2: can't I can't even.
1: Well, I can't believe the men who left the 11 children behind. Right. <laughs> like, already I'm like appalled. I'm like, <laughs> yeah,
2: it says. Um. It says speaking of the incident. Speaking of the incident years later, one of the survivors credited her rescue to nobody but God and Stark and the Virgin Mary. So like, that's how they thought of him. Like, you know, like a higher being. (laughs) Yeah. That um,
1: relief group number two just wasn't doing it. And so relief group three came in and.
2: Yeah.
1: And God Stark was part of it. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God. Right.
2: Because who knows what would have happened. So of the 81 pioneers who began at the Donner Party's horrific winter in the Sierra, Nevada, only 45 managed to walk out alive. That's a huge
1: number. About half. 50%. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The ordeal proved particularly costly for the group's 15 solo travelers, but two of them um, to whom died, but it also took a tragic toll on the families. George and Jacob Donner, both of their wives and four children, um, all perished. Pioneer William Eddy, meanwhile, lost his wife and his two kids. Nearly a dozen families um, had made up the Donner Wagon Trail, but only two, the Reeds and the Breen's, managed to arrive in California without suffering a single death. And if you remember Breen, she was the one yeah. lady who lived to almost be 100 years old.
1: So her whole family survived. Mm-hmm. That left on the trail. Yeah. And um, so only two families stayed intact, but everybody else had yeah. lost somebody. Yeah. Wow.
2: That's yeah, really so, devastating. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, I guess, when you are a kid and you read about this stuff, like not just this, but just certain things, like in history, you are just like, oh yeah, almost like it didn't happen. Like it's just like a, a story that somebody wrote. But as you read these things and talk about these things, as you get older and you realize the stuff that people really went through back then, yeah, it's just mind blowing.
1: And you said that only one family was named Donner. Mm-hmm. Oh. And were they the ones who led the charge? Is that what I'm sure? The yeah, Donner yeah, the Donner Party. Party. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because when I started reading about all the different names, yeah, it was yeah, it was a little I didn't confusing.
1: Even, I didn't even think there was a family named Donner. I thought it was just the name of the past of the past, the Donner, no. the Donner. Pass. And so that's why they called it the Donner Party.
2: Yeah. And what were we watching the other day? Um, where they were like, "Oh, it's Donner Lake and Donner this and Donner oh, that." Oh yeah, it was a YouTube like, video. Oh my on God, it. like. They named the whole area after Everything after, after this the area. Yeah, after
1: Near the Donner Park. Truckee Party. Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so.
2: Everything over there is named after the Donner Park. It's Party, going up so. and over
1: Nevada into California. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. it gets pretty cold and the snow gets pretty high up in that area.
2: Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, so. It's, and it's again, over here, like Tahoe. And I don't even want to go to Big Bear, so. <laughs> Well, no, not if you're freezing in 65 degree. No. So I can't imagine being stranded out there for almost a year trying to like have no food, no nothing like it, these poor people. Yeah. Yeah. Not the best of times.
1: And there's so much out there on the Donner Party. And it's amazing that that much information came back, but it was probably due partly to or entirely
2: to the survivors out there that told their story. So, oh, of course.
1: Yeah, uh, of course. But yeah,
2: this, the story is... Um, <clears throat> Shannon and I actually started watching a video um, on the Donner party and it was, I want to say like two, two and a half hours or something. There's so much information on it. But she started talking and I was like, I was lost before she, I was like, what is she talking about? Like, I had never even heard of these people before. So, yeah, it's so involved, I think. And, and again, that's what happens with history. But it's just, I feel like it's just all connected at some point. Yeah, that's all, what that's what I found
1: really interesting, that I had no idea that the Donner Party was connected to Fort Bridger until I went back, even though at the time I listened to him talk and I heard him say it, mm-hmm. and it's just those little bitty, bitty facts that just leave your mind or your brain for a bit, and then, mm-hmm. so for him to shake it, I thought it was really interesting yeah. that maybe we needed to talk on it and touch on it. Yeah. and. Talk about how all this history is connected, and the trails, and Everything. how the people came over here, and
2: that's how we ended up and, over and, here. And it was so I'm cool, mean. yeah. And it was so cool to just be there, like at Fort Bridger, and be standing there, like on the same ground, like they actually like went through this yeah. area, like right the here. Same where we're standing.
1: yeah. And they actually had they showed the trail. Yeah, we even went to another fort that had the, um, and that was close, I think, to Cody. Mm-hmm where um, they had the Mormon ferry, yes. where they would ferry the people back, back and forth. forth on the lake. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a little stream it's, yeah, this time, it's like, but back then it was huge, it was a yeah. huge wh- yeah. with the big old ferry mm-hmm. where they'd have to put all the ox and the thing and they carry them Take across them this ferry. Um, yeah. So um, just to get them out west. Mm-hmm. And during this time too, Mexico was fighting the Americans from coming yes to California because yes. it was Mexico's territory. They, Mexico, they didn't even yeah. want they no. didn't even want the Donner uh-huh. Party there. I mean nope. it was Mexico. Yeah. You know, and there was this huge fight over the land over there mm-hmm. during this time. So it's just crazy how all this history just kind of makes sense and comes together and just Yeah, you know it all connects you hear all other. these different stories and you don't realize how close they are and how much they're they're intertwined with one another. And so. I don't
2: even know like in I mean obviously we both work in education, but you know we're we're both in special ed, and and I don't even know how much of this history is still even taught in a general education class.
3: Yeah,
1: I don't know either. I yeah. mean, I would. That was my goal was to teach history, um, in high school, and so, but I ended up, you know, going off a different path yeah. and loving it even more. But
2: you yeah. know, yeah, I would just I, I don't would even know. be curious to know, like you know, in the U S history class, which I think they normally take their they, junior year yeah. of high school. Like how much of this is really, I don't think it's not as in really deep. Still taught?
1: Yeah. I think it's um blown over yeah. or it's made to be prettier or it's, it's very biased, Yeah, you know, it's not, you know, but that's a lot of things like even, you know, it's from one perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's good to go out there and find it on your own. And yeah, yeah, there's you a know, lot out there. Listen a lot to of information people. out
2: there.
3: Yeah. So,
1: Well,
2: thank you so much. Well, how can yeah. they find us? They can find us at 50 States of Madness on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, Patreon. Everything is at yeah. 50 States of Madness. And we have Absolutely. our website that we need to... Um,
1: and we are working on the merch, so, you know, yeah. it's the design and everything. It's just about how to get it together and yeah, get it taking, out to you. So.
2: That's taking a little longer than um, we, we had originally anticipated, yeah. But um,
1: it's coming. But Don't it worry. it is coming, for so, sure. So thank you again thank to you all of to- our
2: Patreons. We do yes. not forget about you. We will definitely get you guys um, your shirts out to you and all the stuff that we promised you um, but as if soon you like as we
1: me. get it. But if you'd like to support us, you know, yes. and help us, you know, to um bring all this information to you and to be able to visit these places where all this history and some of these um i don't even know if that's a word (laughs) (laughs) but we're gonna go with it Herocious acts uh, (laughs) um that um we want to you know like you know just kind of you know take you there and so but please support yeah. us we actually yeah, because really I appreciate it. that it um, keeps us I think going
2: it, i think it makes it a little more interesting too when you just don't talk about it when we've actually when you've actually been there and you visited these places um it's just you know yeah. kind of like the cherry on top you know yeah to know that that these are places that we visited and seen with our own eyes so yeah all right well we thank will you be back so next week and thank you for watching or listening and make sure to follow us on all of our platforms and
3: we'll be back next week
1: thank you, Bye-bye. Thank
3: you. Bye.